come to worship you on this morning, Lord, and I pray that you would help us, Lord, to have our minds focused on you, on the word that is yes. going to be preached on today. Lord, help us to learn something, Lord, from the preaching, Lord. Help us, Lord, to love you more, to serve you better, Lord, and bless the needs that are here, Lord, this morning. We'll thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 May be seated. Turn back to the uh, forward to 138, 138. We'll see in Christ the Rose. 138. I know this is not Easter, but we celebrate Christ's sorrows on every uh, risen every Sunday, right? Yes. 138. <clears throat> oh. <clears throat> all right. Sing all three stanzas. Low in the
always a pleasure. Sunday morning. So we have uh, Nathan and then we got Mike coming up uh, later for our morning service. Just want to welcome our visitors, Chris and your sister and your mom. Uh, I know they're from Tennessee, but you guys are, you're from South Florida? All right, and then we got our family from the far north, the Burleys from uh, Fairbanks. Always a pleasure to have them here visiting. And um, yeah. and Francis and Carmen celebrated their, what was it, 40th anniversary? 44. 44 years on Friday. They enjoyed a steak dinner over at the uh, Eagle Cafe. Nice. With some live music on top of that. <laughs> So congratulations to the both of you. All right, so with that, we will continue on with our services this morning. I thought it was 150 years old. 150 years. Uh, we just drove around Friday, and I got off work at 5, and we had to pick up some uh, banana leaves, we're going to cook some uh, preserved breadfruit and we bake it in banana leaves. So we went to Kaneohe where a cousin of ours has a bunch of a growth of bananas there. So we cut them down and my wife said, oh, let's go to uh, Pier 38. I said, yeah, Pier 38. <laughs> and, and you know, man, we start thinking about it dollar signs, you know. <laughs> and we drove around and she said, you know what? I said, what? We got fish at home, you know, so never mind. No, no puree. <laughs> and I said, praise the Lord. <laughs> <laughs> so we went to, uh, we, we've eaten there before uh, Eagles Cafe. We think it's pretty good. He said, we were surprised this the last time we, we ate there, they didn't have any. We just go in there and nothing, but we walk in there and there was a man playing music and sang with him a couple songs he sang, you know, the old, old uh, <laughs> folk rock music, you know, songs and stuff, you know, so. We're singing some Eagles, you know, and so my, my, my Adam side was singing too, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I think you look over a song, you know. Singing <laughs> well, with me, yeah. He plays sax, so it was real good, yeah. Sitting jazz. All right, we'll sing uh, Face to Face, 411. And this is an experience that only a Christian that knows Christ will have. 511. Yeah, I don't know. What did I say? Okay. I can't read my Greek sometimes. 511, okay? Saying face to face. And pick up on the verse. Face to face with Christ my Savior. Face to face, what will it be? Shall we hold him far beyond? 
Genesis chapter 28 this morning. Genesis chapter 28. We're looking at a passage that involves Jacob. And, uh, Jacob is traraveling on a journey here and before you're probably familiar with the dream that he has, which uh, most people refer to it as Jacob's ladder. And I want you to look at Genesis chapter 28. We're going to look at two verses. That will be uh, verses 10 and 11. And this is uh, describing Jacob. He's on a journey. He actually kind of camps out for the night. And it says in verse 10, And Jacob went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he lighted upon a certain place and tarried there all night because the sun was set. And he took of the stones of that place and put them for his pillows and lay down in that place to sleep. How many of you enjoy camping? Uh, you think of that, you think, well, yes, kind of, but no. Most people who enjoy camping, they like getting going out in the outdoors and, and they like certain aspects of it. But when you compare that with the comfort of your own home and your own bed and all of that, then maybe you've had some horror stories or, uh, you know, deal with bug bites and everything else that goes along with it. And so you kind of have mixed feelings about camping. So camping can be very enjoyable if you plan it out accordingly and you do it the right way. However, if you've had some experiences like I have, you just can't wait for the sun to get up and so you can go home and take a shower and get in bed and have a real night's sleep but uh you know hawaii has a lot of different um, areas that are really good for camping i do enjoy camping or at least certain aspects of it i've gone camping different areas in hawaii and uh, a few months well several months ago i took the family camping on the big island the kids were really excited about that and so that our first night was terrible and the first night was terrible because of what i just said we didn't plan it out correctly because the main thing was the area where we were in the elevation, it was so cold. It was so cold, a lot colder than we expected. I thought, well, you know, I mean, we'll just have blankets and things, but that didn't really provide enough um, warmth for us. And we didn't have sleeping bags. We Now we did have air mattresses, but those air mattresses, they can actually get a lot colder than you would expect. <laughs> And uh, so we had blankets and we're just shivering and uncomfortable all night. And the, the elevation, it was near the Volcanoes National Park. And it was cold up there and we did not enjoy it. But our second night was very, very enjoyable, probably more so because we were comparing it to the first night. And so I, I met up with a, a friend that lived on the Big Island that I actually, this is really ironic. This, I grew up with this kid. He lived directly across the street from me in South Texas while I was growing up. 
and then when we got older we parted ways and lost contact with each other and so as an adult he moved to the big island and I looked him up on Facebook and I said hey you know we're gonna be going to the big island we're gonna be camping at this particular spot which was very close to where he lived and he said hey yeah let's let's meet up and um, you know reminisce a little bit and so we went to his house and they were so gracious they, they lent us little battery operated lanterns and, and sleeping bags and the whole bit and the accommodations were great and so that just made our second night so enjoyable where we just wanted to, we just didn't even want to get up in the morning. We're just, oh man, it's so warm and cozy and comfortable. This is, now this is camping. This is the right way to do it. And it was just so enjoyable. And the kids loved their first camping experience with a campfire and roasting marshmallows and the whole bit. And the, um, the volcano was erupting. Um, it, it's funny because I had planned that trip before that eruption even began and uh, just the timing was perfect and so I got some really good shots of that uh, but anyway camping Jacob is on his journey and he has to camp out for the night which was very common at that time if you're just traveling somewhere and so he has when he's there sleeping he has this dream Jacob's ladder and my message is actually not about the dream that he has, because there's a lot of different sermons that people preach about this dream that Jacob had about um, Jacob's ladder there. And I'm not going to preach on that. I'm actually going to preach on his campsite in those verses that we just read. Now, you wouldn't think there's very much um, preaching material in those verses, but I want to preach about the campsite where he was and how there are five things about that campsite, that camping place, that are characteristic of different periods of your life. Your life. Whether you're saved, whether you're lost, it doesn't matter. But especially if you're saved, because I'm preaching to save people. And there are some things in your life, some areas, some periods in your life as a Christian that are very similar to the things, the details in these two verses about Jacob's campsite. Number one, it was a certain place. Oops. It was a certain place. Certain place. Look at verse 11. It says, and he lighted upon a certain place, a certain place. Now, anybody who's ever gone camping, especially if you don't have a, a certain campground or something, if you're just traveling down the road or you're in the wilderness or somewhere and, and you have to find a place to camp like I did before, we were hiking in Mokalea down on the North Shore, and we just a disaster. We didn't plan it out. We didn't have... Uh, the right equipment we didn't know where we we're going to camp and so we had to we were going on this hike and ended up where the, it was uh, the trail that we were trying to get to was closed there was a military restricted access by the military and then he says well you guys should go down down the road this other state trail and that's a lot better and you guys will have fun it's a really nice trail so we went over there and well, we didn't have the thing planned out at all we're just kind of just take it as it comes and real adventurous 
ignorant. So we're, we're hiking, 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 and our plan was to camp one night. And so we couldn't find a place to camp. We were just hiking on this trail and we thought, man, there's no place to camp. And we're just on this dirt road and it's not the trail that we had planned on. And both sides, it's just tall grass and bushes. There's no place to camp and we're getting tired. We were frustrated. Uh, we, we were just exhausted. It was starting to get in the evening hours and we thought we need to find a place to, so that we can pitch our tent. I mean, it wasn't even legal, you know, it wasn't even a designated camping spot. And we said, we've got to find a place to, to, to camp. This is, this, this is just a never ending road. It was probably something that, that the hunters would use or the, the military or something. And um, we were so disappointed and so exhausted and, and hungry and thirsty and just everything. And, and um, it was just a torture trip. And we said, we've got to find a place to just call it a day and, and just set up our tents. This is, this is road just not going anywhere. Just going up in the mountains and, and who knows where the end is. There's no end in sight. And I said, well, you know, there's, there's this line of trees up there. Let's just go just a little bit farther. And so we went a little bit farther and then it opened up to Makua Valley. It was a beautiful view. And we, we were so glad that we had um, gone just a little bit farther. And then when once we were up there, we said, finally, we were definitely going to camp here. This is a beautiful spot. And we could see the mountains on the other side. We could see the ocean. We could see the clouds coming. And it was just a wonderful, wonderful view. And so we looked around and we tried to find a place to pitch our, our tents. We had um, two tents with us. Uh, it, was about, it was only three of us. And so when you are looking for a place to pitch your tent, you don't just pitch it anywhere. You have to find a certain spot. You have to find a certain clearing. We have to find ground that's level. You don't want it to be rocky. You don't want it to be muddy. You don't want it to be on a slope. You want to find a certain spot that's a little bit different than the rest of the surrounding area. And Jacob here, it says that he lighted upon a certain place. Now, how does that relate to a period of your life? Your life, in your life, especially your Christian life, or when you become a Christian, there should be a certain place in your life that's different than the rest of the areas or the periods or the times in your life and that would be the place of salvation salvation okay there should be a certain place that's different than the other places in your life when you got saved it should be a distinctive place even when i was we were camping on the big island even though even when we went to the campground you, there was a campground where you drive up in the parking lot and you park your car and then you go and you pitch your tent. Even there, we had to find a certain place because there were places where we could tell that people had camped there before and it was the grass was all dead and it was a cleared, but it rained so much in that area that it was muddy. <laughs> we didn't want to pinch our tent in the mud. And uh, so we had to find a certain place. In your life, there should be a certain place when you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. And it should be distinct. It should be something in your mind that you remember. There should be a date. There should be a time. There should be certain emotions and certain circumstances revolving around that certain place in your life. Uh, 
there should be a, a place when, when you trusted Jesus Christ where you can remember where it was. You can remember the exact location. I can take you to the exact location where I went camping and show you right here, this is where we pitched our tent. It was a certain place, a certain place. It's, it's not just something real vague like, well, I, I, think, I think it may have been here. It could have been there. It could have been a few miles down the road. I don't really remember. And when, when was it? I don't really remember. It was between the years of, of you know, a, a time span of five years, somewhere in there, not real general, very vague. No, no, I can remember specifically where it was. I can go back on my calendar and find the exact date. I could go back and look at the receipts from, from, from the, the airfare and, the, and the, the receipts that I had to pay the city and county for the camping permit and all those things. And I can find you the exact time and the exact date and the exact location of where we camped. It says Jacob lighted on a certain place, a certain place. Do you remember the details about the certain place in your life when you got saved? Now, I understand some people, they get saved when they're really young. And they can't remember, they can't pinpoint the exact date and the exact time and, the, and all of that. I understand that. But if you got saved when you were older in life, there should, it should be a little bit more distinct. should be something where you remember, yes, I remember before. I remember when I was lost and then I got saved. I remember when so, somebody witnessed to me and my first response to the gospel was, was, you know, maybe I rejected it or I made fun of it or I didn't believe it. And then there are some events or some things and I kept on thinking about it and they kept on witnessing to me. Or I remember somebody invited me to church and I heard the gospel or, or whatever it was. I remember I was, there was a time, there was a place and I was, I remember the feelings. I remember I felt I was under conviction. And then I remember, I don't remember, maybe you don't remember exactly what, what was, was preached in the message or what it was, but you do remember there was a moment in time where you repented and you trusted Jesus Christ and you believed the gospel and you remember you were saved and you remember how your life changed. I can take you to the, where when I got saved, I can take you to the exact place. I remember the exact, the, the date. I remember the circumstances. I remember all of those things. I remember how I felt, how I was thinking, all of those things when I got saved. A certain place, a certain place. If you're saved, you have two birthdays, right? Everybody, well, unless you get older, <laughs> most people, they, they know when their birthday is, right? Especially little kids, they can't wait. They look forward to it. Oh, my birthday's coming up. Um, I'm five and a half. They make sure they put that half in there because they're looking forward to that birthday for those presents and the party and all that. And then when you get older, you want to forget the birthdays <laughs> and you hope everybody else forgets them. You're not looking forward to them at all. Uh, but if you're saved, you have two birthdays and you should know what those birthdays are, the dates. If you're saved, the Bible says, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Born once, you die twice. Born twice, you die once. If you've been born again, then you only die physically. If you've never been born again, 
then you're going to die physically, and then you're going to die spiritually. The Bible calls it the second death, which is the lake of fire. That's what the Bible says. You know, salvation is kind of like marriage, in a sense, as far as getting saved in somebody's conversion. Not always for everybody, but for many people, it is if you're able to remember the details. If you're married, do you remember when and where you got married? You should. I hope so. Uh, now, I know sometimes people forget the their anniversary date. I, I know that. But unless you've, you know, you're losing your mind, you should remember, oh, yeah, my wedding day. I remember. Some people were nervous. Some people, you know, there's you joke about these things, these disasters, and there's videos of, you know, the people, the wedding cake falling over and all kinds of crazy stuff. But anyway, imagine if somebody, if you ask them if they're married, it's kind of like, think about this, because this is how people ask when you try to ask them if they're saved or, or try to witness to somebody. And people love to think they're saved when they're not, right? Self-righteous. And they think that by giving you the right answer that they're going to be saved in God's eyes for some reason. It's just really strange. It's like telling the doctor, oh, yes, I'm healthy. Is that going to make you healthy? <laughs> uh, imagine you ask somebody if they're married, comparing it with salvation. And they said, oh, yeah, I've always been married. Ever since I was born, I've been married. That's how people say with, about salvation. Oh, I've always been a Christian. I've always been saved. Have, has anybody always been married? Oh, I was raised in a married household. I was married in a Christian home. My parents are married, therefore I'm married. I've attended many weddings throughout my life. No. <laughs> that's crazy. And that's how it is for some people with salvation, their idea of salvation. Um, you're either single or you're married. You're either lost or you're saved. There should be a certain place. Jesus said, if you believe on him, he said, you shall not come into condemnation, but you are passed from death unto life. When were you, when did you pass from death to life? There should be a certain place in your life when you pass from death unto life. When you were spiritually born, just like when you were born as a baby, there's a certain place, a certain time, certain event, and there should be a certain place in your life when you got saved. Number two, I want you to see something else about this place, this place where Jacob was. Go back to Genesis chapter 28. It says, and he lighted upon a certain place and tarried there all night. It was a dark place. This was a dark place where Jacob was. It became dark. It says he tarried there all night because the sun was set. There's going to be in your life, there are going to be some dark places. Dark places. Now, before you were saved, spiritually speaking, you were in darkness. You were saved from darkness. Jesus said, men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. The Bible says, but if our gospel be hid, it is him to, hid to them that believe not. 
in whom the God of this world hath blinded the eyes of them that believe not, lest the glorious light of the gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. There was a, a, a time where um, there was something called Earth Hour, where they wanted to conserve electricity in order to save planet Earth. And so they, they designated a certain time when they wanted everybody to turn off the lights around the world for a certain period of time. And all the, these great landmarks and these buildings and government uh, landmarks and agencies, all these places, they turned off the lights and they wanted all the houses and everybody around the world in order to celebrate what they call the Earth Hour. Everybody, for a designated time, everybody turn off the lights so it would be there would be no lights, no consumption of, of excess electricity, and it would be dark around the whole world. Darkness. You know what that's a picture of? That illustrates that this whole world is in darkness. In the Bible, it says the whole world lieth in wickedness. This world is a dark place, and there will be some dark places in your life not just before you're saved are you in darkness but even as a Christian there are going to be some other dark places by that what I mean is that there are going to be some times in the Christian life where you're not going to be able to see clearly not because you're in sin but because you might be going through a certain situation where God has not revealed the outcome there are some trials. You might have some experiences where you think, I'm kind of being afflicted here, kind of like Job. Job was in a dark place in his life. There are going to be some times, those circumstances, they seem very grim. It's going to look like there's no light at the end of the tunnel. You're not going to understand why God is allowing you to go through these things. You might even be tempted to feel like God has forsaken you. You might be tempted to get mad at God. You might think that you've done something wrong to cause this. Your faith might be tested. It might cause you to fear and rely on the flesh. Dark places, dark places. God allows Christians to go through some of these dark places sometimes in their life where it seems like it's hopeless. And you need to understand that when you do go through some of these dark places in your life, you know, darkness can produce irrational fear. You know why a lot of times children are afraid of the dark? It's not what they see, it's what they can't see. What they can't see. It can produce irrational fear. When you're going through something and the circumstances seem very grim. You, you, know the, you know what the Bible says. You know what all the promises are in the Bible. But it just seems like the circumstances that you're in are just a little bit too difficult. And you need to remember that you're going to be tempted to what they call catastrophize meaning every little thing it blows out of proportion and you think it's bigger than it is it's worse than it is irrational fear I remember um, there was a 
period of, of time when Nathan was a little bit younger and he was, a, a, like most children, afraid of monsters when it gets dark, afraid of monsters. And for some reason, the mind of the child is just, their imagination is just amazing. But he, in his mind, was thinking <laughs> that in our backyard at night, there were monsters that were hiding behind my the tool shed way in the backyard for some reason. He thought that they would come there at night when he's in bed. And I was asking, well, wait a minute. Well, why do you think there's monsters back there behind the shed in the backyard? Because I just think that those that, that's where they stay. And I said, so, so wait, so but you go play in the backyard during the day, right? You never saw any monsters back there during the day. He said, no, but they come at night. And I said, well, where do you think they come from? He said, I think they come from Haleiwa, uh, which is, a, you know, the town on the North Shore. And I, I said, in Haleiwa, why would they come from Haleiwa? And he, he described, like, some old haunted house, which doesn't even exist. And he says, yeah, they lived in, uh, whenever, when he was younger, he would see, like, an old, spooky, abandoned house. They would call it a monster house. And, and he said, I think that they live in one of those houses in, in, in Haleiwa, and then at night they come to our backyard and they hang out behind our shed. And, and I said, okay, so, so tomorrow night or tonight, whenever, when it gets dark, we're going to take you, we're going to go with a flashlight, we're going to take you and show you and we're going to go with you. Mommy's going to take you with a flashlight and we're going to go behind that shed and, and I'm going to show you that there's no monsters. And, and you can even have your, your toy sword or whatever it is that you had because there was a phase where he was really into ninjas and uh, I, I bought him these these toy ninja weapons and I said here you can have your plastic sword with you and if there's any monsters then, then you're going to kill them and, and they'll never come back and just to kind of um, uh, give him the, the peace of mind so he could relax at night and not have to think about these monsters in the backyard and so we took him back there, and, and Hannah had him with a flashlight, and we, she said, look, look, see, look, there's no monsters back here. See, no monsters. You don't have to worry about monsters. There's no monsters in the backyard. And, and um, when he was coming back in the porch, I mean, uh, into the backyard, he was going to come back, and he was coming back toward the back door, toward the porch, and I was hiding on the porch. <laughs> and I couldn't resist... And when he was coming back and I was hiding on the porch in the dark and right as he passed me and he couldn't see me and I, and I went <laughs> make this pig noise and he started screaming and running into the house and uh, scared to death. I didn't make a monster noise. It was just a pig noise. But that scared him to death. And then he told, he told his grandma, he told my mom on the phone and then she yelled at me and and uh, he yelled at me, and to this day, they won't let me forget it, about it. Now, if I had done that during the day, when he's outside playing in the middle of the afternoon, he wouldn't have gotten scared. But you know why he got scared? Because it was dark. Because it was at night. And he couldn't see me. It's dark. He can't see anything. All he hears is this noise. He's already in his mind. He's already scared because it's dark. Not of what he sees, what of, but what he does not see. When I was young, I remember my dad had the sprinkler on 
with the water hose, and he told me it was dark. And he told me, "Go, I need you to go and turn off the water hose in the backyard. Turn off the sprinkler. And I remember going over there in the backyard, turning it off, and then when I'm walking back, I just sensed and felt and thought that there was, in my mind, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, I know there's nothing there to be scared of. But as a child, that fear just overwhelmed me, and I just had to run <laughs> out of the backyard back and back into the house. Not because of what I saw, but what I could not see. And when you're in a dark place in your life, many times you are going to be afraid and worried about not what you do see, but what you don't see. Your fears become exaggerated. That phrase, things go bump in the things that go bump in the night. Oh, it's just the wind blowing the, the branch or something, hitting the hitting the roof. Oh, what was that? Oh, somebody's breaking in the house. Oh, the house is haunted. It's a ghost. What is that? Honey, honey, get up, get up. I heard something. I heard something. What? There's something. There's somebody in here. What is it? What is it? Go, go, go. It's, it's the wind blowing a branch of the tree. It's the cat. It's, you know, but fears get exaggerated. Fears get exaggerated. I told you a story, when I, um, an illustration with another message when... Some friends and I were out looking for another friend. This is when we were in high school, and his family owned several acres of land out in the country. They were supposed to be fishing at a lake or a pond or something. It was late at night, and we went down a dirt road in this country area field looking for them. We couldn't find them, and my friend said, well, we, you know, they're not here. Let's just kind of hang out here. We were bored, had nothing to do, couldn't find our friends, and we're just sitting in the truck, I guess, just kind of listening to the radio, just hanging out, and uh, there's this this hill on the dirt road, and my, my friend and, and my brother says, oh, look at that, there's some people walking up toward us in the distance. And I said, I don't, I don't see anybody. And they said, yeah, yeah, there's somebody, oh, that might, that, but maybe that's them, it looks like they're holding fishing poles, fishing rods. Oh, okay. Maybe that's our friends coming. They're supposed to be fishing. And they said, yeah, yeah, they're, they're, they're definitely walking toward us up this dirt road, up this hill. And they said, wait a minute. That doesn't look like fishing poles. That looks like, that looks like they have a gun. <laughs> and, I, and I said, wait, are you sure? What, what are you guys looking at? Look right there, right there. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, now I see it. Now I see it. And they were walking closer. And these guys, whatever they thought they saw, they spooked us out so bad <laughs> that we literally got into a panic. And that guy, he was a big, big old senior, six foot four, really big guy. I think he had failed a few times, so he was probably like 20 years old. <laughs> And uh, so he kind of called the shots and the leader of the group. And he told me we had my dad's little truck, Datsun pickup truck, and we're all in the, in the front with a little extra cab where somebody could barely squeeze in the back. And he told me, he said, they were so scared. He said, everybody get in the car, get in the car. He said, Mike, Mike, 
Whatever you do, do not stop. If they stop shooting, whatever happens, you do not stop. He said, you got it. You get, let's get out of here. We got to get out of here. Now, this, you have to remember, we are down in South Texas on the Mexican border where there's a lot of drug activity and smuggling and crime and all that stuff. And we're out in the middle of nowhere in the, down a country dirt road in a dirt field late at night. And we see a group of people walking toward us supposedly carrying guns. And I started that thing and I stepped on that gas and he and, and I'm going and he says, don't stop, whatever happens, don't stop, don't stop. And he's telling my brother, my little brother, he goes, everybody get down, get down, get down in the truck so we don't get shot. And I started gunning it up that, the only way out of there, which was right where they were coming toward us, going up that dirt road, up that dirt hill, and we got closer to them, and guess what happened? We discovered that those people walking toward us with a gun was a street sign <laughs> and some tree branches blowing in the wind. And we were in a full panic, like something you'd see in a movie. Why? Because it was a dark place. We were never in danger. Never, not once. But because it was dark, everything was exaggerated and we couldn't see clearly. That's what happens sometimes when you are in a dark place. Now you will be in a dark place, but you have to remember the promises of the word of God. You have to remember, don't let your fears become exaggerated and magnified out of proportion. You know, even Christ experienced some dark places in the garden of Gethsemane, that was a dark place. When he was crucified, he was forsaken by the father. He said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And the Bible says, darkness covered the land from the sixth to the ninth hour for three hours. It was pitch black, dark. But you know, God works during the dark places. We see in this passage that it was God who revealed himself to Jacob during the night. During the night, not during the day, it was during the night when he revealed himself to Jacob. And there God will allow, God will bring comfort during those dark places. The Bible says, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Yea, though I, yea, though I walk the through the valley of the shadow of death. There you go. Psalms chapter 23. Psalms chapter 23. It's always there. The Bible says we walk by faith and not by sight. We walk by faith and not by sight. So it was a dark place. Number two, it was a stony place. I'm, I'm sorry, number three. It was a stony place. Go back to Genesis chapter 28. Verse 11, and he lighted upon a certain place and tarried there all night because the sun was set. And he took of the stones of that place and put them for his pillows. It was a stony place. It was a stony place. That must have been one uncomfortable pillow because that's what he used. Now, I don't know if he wrapped it up with, with blankets or animal skins or something. Uh, but <laughs> anyway, it was a stony place. There were rocks there where he was camping. And there are going to be some stony places in your life as a Christian where you're going to have to walk, walk carefully and watch your step 
stones, rocks can really make you fall. They can make you trip. In fact, uh, Jesus for the lost, he's called the, the stumbling stone of the and a rock of offense. And so there are places where you might fall once in a while. But if that happens, you have to get back up. The Bible says a just man falleth seven times and riseth up again. Riseth up again. Rocks can be very dangerous. If you're hiking and a lot of these in Hawaii, a lot of the hiking trails are actually created naturally by water from the rain. It clears out the vegetation and, and creates a trail. And so a lot of the hiking trails, they're along riverbeds in Hawaii in the mountains. And I have found where there are, uh, when you have to cross a, a narrow a stream, a shallow stream, and you'll use these rocks as stepping stones some of those rocks, because they're always wet, they have this really slick algae on them. And you can't always see it before you step on it. And you, there's a big, smooth rock, very smooth from the water running over it for so long. And you think that that's going to support you, and you're going to step on that and step on these rocks to get across the water. And you step on that thing, and you just slip and fall because it's so slippery like ice because of that slick algae that grows on it. Stony places, stony places. Some rocks are very unsturdy. Some rocks you think you can step on them and then they give, they give out from underneath you because they're unsturdy, they're loose. How many of you remember that tragedy that happened at uh, Sacred Falls? Yeah, on Mother's Day. I live near there. Sacred Falls was a beautiful, beautiful, well, it is a beautiful waterfall in Hawaii, and a lot of people used to go there. One time on Mother's Day, when there was a lot of people there, there was a little bit of a rock slide, landslide. And if you've ever been to Sacred Falls, they closed the trail because of that. It's illegal to go there. But if you go to Sacred Falls, you start hiking in there, and it's it turns in kind of like what I just described, kind of like a dry river, and so there's rocks all over the place, and you keep on going in there, and there's this valley, and there are these walls that are very, very steep vertical walls, and as you get closer to the waterfall, it gets more narrow and more narrow and more narrow, and so you're in there, and on both sides of you are these steep cliff walls. And what happened was some boulders came loose. And some boulders started coming down, falling down that waterfall. And once they get that momentum, they're bouncing around in there like a pinball machine. And there's all these people in there. There's no way to escape. And some of those big boulders that came bouncing around in there killed some people. Very dangerous. Very dangerous. It's a rocky place. Rocky place. There are some rocky places that you're going to encounter in your life as a Christian. And ironically, sometimes small rocks can be more dangerous than large ones. You know, a lot of times cars... They don't have car accidents because of large boulders. Large boulders are easy to identify and easy to avoid. But did you know if you can have a road and you can have a small pebble, 
that's more dangerous than a large boulder because a lot of those small pebbles that you don't see will cause a car to skid and slide out of control. And it's kind of like that with temptation and sin. Sometimes the real big bad sins are easy to identify and to avoid. You think, well, I would never do that. But the little sins, the little temptations that, 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 that don't seem as, as, as dangerous and, and, and don't seem as destructive and, and, and as bad, some of those little ones, we, we think that those are a little bit more harmless. And it's kind of like those rocks. It's the little pebbles. It's the, it's a, it's the gravel, the little ones that can cause more damage. And so sometimes when it's the little sins and the little temptations and the, the, the ones that are more common that we don't think are really that bad, therefore we don't really take that extra precaution to avoid them. And, and those little ones, they can build up and build up and build up to where they're numerous or they grow into bigger ones. See, Christians say, oh, well, that, that sin, that's really bad. I would never do that. And so I don't need to worry about that because I'm not even tempted to do that. It's so bad. It's just so far apart against my nature. Well, yeah, okay. But what about the little ones? The little ones, those can be just as destructive. It was a rocky place we see there. I want you to see something else that's interesting about this rocky place. Look at verse 18. It said, and Jacob rose up early in the morning and took the stone singular that he had put for his pillows and set it up for a pillar and poured oil upon the top of it. A single stone that he selected for his rest for his pillow, one stone. And you know, the Bible says that Jesus Christ is a rock. He's a rock. rock the rock, one rock was used for his resting place. You will need Jesus Christ as the rock for your resting place for solid ground. Remember the parable uh, the, the, the wise man built his house on the rock, on the rock. We live, the Christian life in many aspects is like a rock, a stony place, a rocky place. There's temptations, there's, there's trials, there's things. The, we have to contend with the world, the flesh, and the devil. And we need that one solid rock to rest our life on. Number four, it was a waiting place. It was a waiting place. In Genesis chapter 28, look at verse 11. And he lighted upon a certain place and tarried there all night. Tarried there. He waited. He waited. He waited. A waiting place. I remember one time when I was camping. I told you about camping in uh, Mokalaia. Terrible, terrible. Uh, we had finally found a great place to camp out, but I went down, before we went, I went down to Savers and I bought the cheapest tent that they had. And I had no idea that you're supposed to buy this extra sort of glue to, to put on the lining to seal it so the water doesn't come in. <laughs> I didn't know that. And so it rained all night while we were up there in the mountains. And I had this tarp that I had put my tent on, which the area between the bottom of my tent, the floor of the tent and the tarp, it basically created a large puddle of water. So I was, my tent was resting on a puddle of water, plus the rain was seeping in 
the seams. And my sleeping bag, I thought, well, you know, I want a comfortable, warm sleeping bag. So I got one that had that, that flannel lining. And what happens when those get wet? <laughs> so I'm there sleeping in a puddle of water. My sleeping bag is soaked. There's drops of water coming in the tent all night. I'm way over on the side of, of my tent trying to find a small little dry spot, trying to sleep. Reminded me of like when you're a kid and you wet the bed and <laughs> you try to find a little dry spot to sleep but you don't want to get up and change the sheets and all that. I mean, it was so miserable. I could not wait for the sun to come up so I could... I could get up and hike back down and go home and go to sleep. It was just terrible. And I had to wait and wait and wait and you could not sleep. And I'm tossing and turning and shivering and wet and uncomfortable. And the sun could not have risen soon enough. It's kind of like in the book of Acts when they were shipwrecked and they said they were wait, wishing for the day. Wishing for the day. And I had to wait until the sun came up. Wait. The Bible says endure hardness is the good soldier of Jesus Christ waiting place. There are going to be waiting places in the Christian life where you are going to have to wait. Wait on God. God may not answer your prayer as soon as you want. You're going to have to exercise some patience. We live in a society, we live in a culture where people are not patient. Everybody wants what they, they want, what they want, and they want it right now. They don't want to wait. We live in a society where you have microwaves, fast food, drive through. If you can't afford it, put it on the credit card. Get it now. Don't wait. Instant gratification. Instant gratification, right? Rush delivery. High-speed internet. And with technology, everything's hitting faster, 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 faster. Now, I mean, I enjoy our modern conveniences. I enjoy the fact that you can email somebody instead of put a letter in the mailbox and they get it a week later. I like it where I can just press a button and then they get it in a few seconds. I like that. I like the fact that I can get on the plane and be on the other side of the world in, you know, several hours instead of a week going on a boat or something like they have to use. I like those things too. But you know what? Those things, if you let those things get out of control, they can cause you to be impatient. They can cause you to be impatient. And there are some times where in your Christian life, you are just going to have to wait. I read an article where there was an angry passenger who wanted to get off the plane so fast that he opened the emergency who did that before the plane even landed. Wasn't that like um, a, Korea, a guy from Korea or something? Yeah, now I, I know somebody who is an airline stewardess and she said if you're at a certain altitude, you, you can't even open that thing. It's impossible because of the pressure and all that. But he, they were down a certain level where he was able to do that. And, he, and in, the, in the article it said because he was so anxious, I don't know if he was having an anxiety attack or something and afraid of flying or claustrophobic, but he opened that emergency door because he said he couldn't wait to get off the plane. Impatient, impatient. Many Christians have compromised 
their morals, their standards, their values, the Bible, because of impatience. Impatience. They want something. God says, not now, not now, not now. They said, I want it right now, and I'm going to get it, and I'm going to do whatever it takes, and I'm not going to wait on God. I'm going to get it right now. And then they have what we call buyer's remorse. <laughs> you ever bought something because you were impatient? And then after you get it, oh, man, you know what? I should have waited. I should have waited till it was going to go on. I should have waited for the new model. I should have done my research. I should have read the Amazon reviews. I should have done, I should have, I should have, and, and I wanted it so badly. And it's like, like a kid wanting to open his Christmas presents. Nathan, Nathan, and Justin at Christmas, there's the presents under the tree. I want to open it. I want to open it. I want to open it so bad, so bad. No, no, you got to wait till Christmas. And then when we're not looking, goes and tears a little piece of tape and peeks because he's so impatient. He wants to, even if he can't open it, he wants to know what it is. Okay, you can open one early. Now, we know based on past experiences that if we let him open all of them or even one or more than one before it's time, then on the Christmas morning, what happens? He's upset because he no longer has that element of surprise. <laughs> Why? He opened the presents early. Christians, many a Christian has compromised their morals, their values, because they're impatient. Impatient. The prodigal son, what did he do? I want my inheritance. I want it now. And he went, went, and the Bible says he wasted his substance on riotous living. And people say, well, you know, it's a wonderful story because the father received him back. And he came back home, and they threw a big party. And so that's a wonderful illustration of eternal security and God's love and forgiveness. And it is. But many people, when they preach on that, they forget to mention that after he wasted his substance, he didn't get it back. Yes, the father received him back. But he didn't say, oh, you know what? I have some more money saved for you. I was kind of anticipating this. Don't worry, son. Here, here you can have another $50,000 because I have unlimited funds. No, it was gone. It was gone. Wasted it. Why? Impatience, impatience. So there should be a waiting place in your life. You know, the Bible says one of the fruit of the Spirit is long-suffering. Long-suffering. Remember Matthias who replaced Judas in the book of Acts as an apostle? You know, the Bible, it gives these qualifications that somebody had to have in order to be the replacement for Judas. And it says that they had to have been with the, the disciples the whole time during Jesus' ministry and all those things. And did you know that up until that time, you never even hear Matthias mentioned? That means that he was there faithful the whole time, waiting, 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 doing what he was supposed to do, not 
trying to stand out, not trying to be real vocal like Peter always was, but just silent, waiting, faithful, patient, patient. And then when the time came, God said, well done, good and faithful servant. Here, I'm promoting you. Patient, patient, patient. Somebody said the best preparation for tomorrow is to do what you ought to today. Today. And we always have to be patient. Just for Christ's return, we have to be patient. And finally, Jacob's campsite was a resting place. A resting place. Resting place. Go to your text, Genesis chapter 28, verse 11. And he lighted upon a certain place and tarried there all night because the sun was set. And he took of the stones of that place and put them for his pillows and laid down in that place to sleep. To sleep. It was a resting place. A resting place. There's going to be a resting place in your life. Now, once the Bible says when you get saved, that is kind of like a resting place. Jesus said, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. There's the salvation rest that's in the Lord. However, you don't want to rest in the Lord in your service because the Bible says redeeming the time. Redeem the time because the days are evil. Jesus said, go to work today in my vineyard. <clears throat> so we, <clears throat> excuse me, we rest in the Lord when we trust in the Lord and we get saved. That is a, a spiritual rest. But in our service to him, we're not supposed to rest. There's, there's a hymn that says, my faith has found a resting place, a resting place. So there, there's, there's a two that's twofold rest in in salvation but don't rest in your service although there will be a time in your life when you will rest from your labor go to revelation chapter 14 revelation chapter 14 and you don't want to rest before that time revelation chapter 14 Verse 13, Revelation 14, 13. And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Write, blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works do follow them. There's going to be a point in your time when you are going to rest from your labor. You will close your eyes for the last time. And you're going to rest as a Christian. And you're going to rest in the Lord. On the tombstone, R.I.P. They say rest in peace, right? Lazarus, after Lazarus died, Abraham told the rich man, Lazarus is, in the Bible it says he was being comforted. He was being comforted. And when you rest from your labor as a Christian and, you, and your soul is resting in Christ for salvation, you are going to rest you're going to rest. The Bible says that God's going to wipe away all your tears. All your tears. No more pain. No more sorrow. Finally, you're going to rest. Finally, you won't have the trials and tribulations and the suffering that come along with our, our flesh, our Adamic flesh. Uh, but, you know, unfortunately, the Bible says for people who are not saved that they will not rest. Look at Revelation chapter 14, verse 11. And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever, and they have no rest, day nor night. 
who worship the beast in his image and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. Isn't that terrible? As bad as this life can get for some people and then after they die, if they're not saved, they, they don't have rest. That means all these tombstones that, and every time some celebrity dies and you see on social media and all these news articles, oh, well, he's resting. Finally, he's at rest. So and so, you know, he had such a terrible life, and this actress and this famous famous movie star, and she battled cancer, and she she had all these. The, her life was oh so miserable at the end, and finally we can finally we can have comfort in the fact that she's finally at rest, and she's resting in hell if she's not saved. Right. Yep. And thousands of tombstones around the world in the cemeteries that say R.I.P. Rest in peace and the people are in hell if they're not saved. That's what the Bible says. That's what the Bible says. We just read it. In fact, it goes beyond that. The Bible says for the saved, we can take comfort in the fact that the Bible says that God will wipe away all tears from their eyes. But the Bible says about the, those in hell, it says there shall be weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. In fact, the Bible says in Isaiah, there is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. It's a terrible thing to think about, isn't it? But for us who are saved, there will be a time finally of rest, rest, rest. And when that time comes, you should live your life now so that when you do come to that time of rest, or maybe even before it's the time of final rest, you may get to an age where you know you don't have the energy, you don't have the health, you don't have the stamina, you don't have the ability, physical ability to serve the Lord like you did when you were younger. You don't want to reach that time and look back and think, oh, I wish I, wish I would have done more. You know, I, I wish I, now I, I, I can't do it because of these limitations I have. I wish when I was younger, I would have done more. I wish I could have done more, but it's too late now. You don't want to look back at your life. You want, you want to be like Paul who says, I finished my course. I kept the faith. You want to be like Paul where he says, um, or like the, the, uh, the parables where he says, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. Different places in your life, a certain place where you got saved, a dark place where you can't see the future, a stony place, temptation, sin, danger, waiting place where you have to be patient and wait on God, and then a resting place where you will finally rest. And we know after that, we know about God giving us a glorified body and all those things. I pray that this would be helpful to you, motivating, comforting, challenging Different places, different places. There's a lot you can glean from the scriptures just by those two verses about a man who was camping one night and apply that to life. It's amazing what you can get out of the Bible. Let's pray. Lord, thank you once again for the word of God. Thank you for 
these areas that you've given us in the Bible that have promises, that have admonitions. I pray that everybody would take these things seriously, that uh, you would help us to live the Christian life the best way we can, that we would look to you for our our rest in salvation and, and the rock of our salvation and that you would uh, equip us and help us to live for you and be filled with the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.